There it is, history. In all worldviews, Christian worldviews, worldly worldviews, they have a perception of history. What you believe shapes your view of history. So if you're a humanist, and I don't know whether you know what a humanist is, a humanist, a secular humanist is somebody who just does not believe in God. They believe in evolution. They believe that everybody comes from um, evolution. A secular humanist doesn't believe that there is a God. A cosmic humanist believes that God is in everything. So they're a little bit different. But a secular humanist doesn't believe that there's a God at all. Just there's no God. And so that actually has to shape the way they view life. So they don't know what happened at the beginning. If you have a look at the origins, the secular humanists say we don't really know how we came to be, but we know God wasn't there, so it can't be God. It has to be something else. So we must have come out of the uh, pool somewhere and crawled out like an ant and, uh, or, or a caterpillar or something and turned into an ape and then turned into a human being. They, they've got to try and create a reason for us being, our origin for us being other than God, maybe we came from a star planet. Maybe we were seeded into the world by aliens and the aliens started the whole... Anything else but God because God's not there. God is not part of the exercise. Of course, they don't know and then they have to look at recorded history and then recorded history, they say, now this is the way we'll interpret recorded history because of our view. They say, we look at the things and they say, fossil remains... Uh, these obviously are um, uh, part of the progress of, of evolution. We can look at fossil remains and say this is a product of a flood. This is a product of God's creation, you know. This is what God... Uh, and we can interpret those completely different. So they interpret history according to their view, according to their opinion. Of course, they don't really know where they are now. You can't really know anything. Secular humanists, we're just experiencing life and we're trying to understand what it is. In the future, well, we're looking for a utopia, you know, when man will create heaven on earth. So we'll create a, a, an environment and a government which is so perfect that it will cure problems like poverty and sickness. And then we, but there was, we can't all live, can we? So we'll have to actually arrange how we can actually deal with the population because if there's all of us breeding all the time and we're all going to live forever. You know. So these are the problems that secular humanism is facing and they don't know any, anything but they just their whole view of secular humanism uh, fashions their belief of history we as christians believe that god is the creator he's the beginning he's the alpha he's the beginning of the first he created all things recorded history shows us that god created things and shows us how it was and everything in the bible that we see in the bible has been verified by the, the historical finds of archaeological finds have shown us that it's this this good reason to believe that the bible is true and of course we know that he's going to wind things up. He's told us what he's going to do. He's told us what he's done. And he's told us where he is right now. And so we can have confidence. We can have some certainty in our life because we know certain things. Because that's our faith. That's our belief system. And our belief system interprets our history. Or we look at history and see history um, because of the way we believe. There's an attack on the history of the Bible. Uh, Secular humanists don't believe in the supernatural. They don't believe in God. So they interpret the Bible as being full of error, full of legends and mythology. And when we find things, like they said, there is no such thing as the cities of uh, uh, um, Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, we hear about Sodom and Gomorrah and you, 
you hear about how God hated what they were doing and so God destroyed them. And, and then the, the secular, that's just rubbish. There was, there was never any Sodom and Gomorrah until they started digging in the valley where the Sodom and Gomorrah and the five cities of the area were living. And they started digging and they found the foundations to those cities and they established what those cities, before they got to the cities, they went through this band of um, uh, ash, volcanic ash, sulfur ash. And then through that, they found the city's ruins for five, five cities in that valley. They said, this is Sodom and Gomorrah. you find that in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. You see, but you know, but you try and tell a secular person, you see, it's not the facts that they were. They will not believe. Not that they can't believe. They will not believe because they don't choose to have God in their estimation. So the way you view life will is, is dependent on what you really believe. And it's, it's belief. The Bible is an account of God's history. It reveals his story through the ages. We believe that. So that settles it for us. You know, we are faced with two choices with regard to the Bible. You believe and accept that the account of God's communication, it's God's account of communication to us, or we believe and accept a different view of history which denies the teaching of the Bible. There's two choices. You have two choices. You either accept that the Bible is the word of God and what it says is true, or you believe something else. You see, you really don't have a choice not to believe. We are all believers. No matter what your worldview is, no matter where you come and where, where you've come from, you believe something. If you were raised in Australia and you were raised with secular humanist parents and, and they didn't believe in God and told you there was no God, and you believe that, you establish your belief system around that, you don't know all the information. I mean, ask this question. The person who says that there is no God must know everything. Can you understand that? Maybe God is just outside their knowledge. Does that mean that God doesn't exist? No, it means that God is outside their knowledge. My mother, she has a mother. What was my mother's name? My mother's mother's name. You don't know. Does it mean that she never existed? Of course she existed. Why? Because I'm standing here, I'm the son of my mother, and my mother is the daughter of her mother. She did have a mother, even though you don't know her name, even though she is outside of your understanding, doesn't mean she never existed. We are proof of her existence. So a person who says there is no God is saying, I know everything, I know that there is no God. No, all we know is that God is outside your understanding, that you don't know all things. So the Bible says quite clearly, the fool has said in his heart there is no God because it's a foolish statement to say that there is no God because it says that you know all things. And you don't even know my mother's mother's name. So maybe God is outside your understanding. We all have to believe something because we all don't know all the information. So the humanism leaps from hypothesis to hypothesis. Now, we, we just had this news article just came through recently that says, you know, the big bang is, is a problem. The bang was always the problem. So we have now another idea for the beginning of the world. This is humanism. 
You know, we didn't start from a big bang and then the world spun out into places and then we all started this evolutionary process. No, we have problems with the big bang, says the scientists. The reason we have problem with the big bang because big bangs usually end up in a whole lot of chaos. You know, you explode something and then what's left is a whole lot of mess. It's, there's nothing, nothing looking like it's in order or form. You blow something up, it's just blown apart. So the Big Bang has got a problem because when we look at the universe and when we look at planets and when we look at everything, everything is in order. Everything is going in order. Everything is in place. So the Big Bang is a problem, says the scientists. Now we've got to find another reason, another hypothesis to sort of work this out because the Big Bang is not becoming popular with reasonable and rational thinking people. So what we're going to say now, it's the Big Freeze. We've got a Big Freeze. Another idea. Another hypothesis. Why? Anything to say God did not create it. Anything to say we're going to just reject God. Yet the Christian accepts by faith the claims that are in the Bible. It says, you know what the Bible says? It's simple. It says that God created it. And you know what? I'm believing it. I'm believing. Everyone has to have faith. Because no one was there. The secular humanist says, I'll have faith that we evolved over billions of years. And the Christian says, I'll have faith in God who created us. Everybody has to have faith. The choice is, what are you going to put your faith in? So our confidence is in the word of God, and, not in, and it's not a blind faith. People say, well, you've got blind faith. No, we know it's not blind faith. It's reasonable faith. There's a difference between blind faith and reasonable faith. Blind faith says, I don't care what you say. I'm just going to believe. Reasonable faith says there's good evidence to tell us that we can have surety in what is said in the Word of God. And you know, we, we did this in, 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 um, in their first um, workshop. We did this uh, about 10 reasons why you can have faith in the Word of God. The Word of God is real because it doesn't try and hide anything. It shows us, shows us the, the human condition just as it is. There's enduring manuscripts that come down from years and years and years, from thousands and thousands of manuscripts that support the teaching of the Bible and that the Bible is the Word of God. It's, there's more proof that the Bible and, and the things that happened in the Bible happened for anything else than it happened in history because of the volume of manuscripts that have been found. Those manuscripts are valid too because we found that the older manuscripts support what the newer manuscripts have been saying. We find the new manuscripts here and then we find older manuscripts a thousand years older in the Dead Sea Scrolls and they were the same. Like nobody's changed them. It's not like we've been told stories and, they, and, and as the stories have been come to us from years and years and years, they've been changed and molded until we get to the Bible today. No, those things were written down thousands of years ago and then they hadn't found the old ones we just had these modern ones and said, well, everybody says, you know, everything has been changing. Everybody changes everything. And then they found manuscripts for the book of Isaiah and some of the other things, a thousand year predating these ones. And guess what? There was no difference. No one had changed them. God had kept them the same. So we are confident. Manuscripts tell us the Bible claims to be God speaking to us. God said to Moses, Moses, write these. This is God speaking. Write these commands down. This is the moral code that I have for you. God spoke it. So it, the word of God says, this is the word of God. The evidence of those miracles is proof for us too. When we see all of the things that happen under Jesus' ministry and when we pray for people and see God working in people's lives, even in this fellowship with God healing people and God providing for people, the evidence of those miracles is proof that the word of God is true. The land speaks, you know, 
one of the latest things that people are doing now is they know Jesus is a, it's a fictitious person. There is no proof that Jesus ever existed. It's just a legend. You know, King Arthur and, the, and the, the Knights of the Round Table? King Arthur was a real man, but he was never the Knights of the Round Table. That's just legend. We just created a legend to create this idea that King Arthur was a man. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is just a legend. He was never really real. Until they dug up Josephus who wasn't a Christian, who was a historian, and he writes about Jesus and his disciples. Until they write, picked up the, the writings of a guy called Tessidus, who, who wrote the, the Annals, and in it he talks about Christ and his disciples and how Christ was put to death under Pontius Pilate. Now these people are not Christians, they're just historians, they're just other secular people, they're Romans, they're not Christians. And they were living in those times. And they wrote about Jesus. So there's strong evidence to the fact that Jesus actually lived. Oh, if we don't want God in our lives and we don't want Jesus in our lives, we'll have to say a lot of lies. And we'll have to keep on saying those lies so you don't believe them. Because if you believe that, it might change your life. The accuracy of Bible prophecy right through the Old Testament, you see... The prophets prophesy certain things to Israel and those things. You are going to go into, you are going to go into um, captivity now because you've been bad, wicked and villainous since the prophet Isaiah or prophet Ezekiel to the children of Israel. And then all of a sudden, up comes Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian uh, king, and he takes them all into captivity. He's prophesied about it. It's in the Bible. And the king, can blow, blow Darius away, a guy called Darius. 400 years before he was even born, Isaiah writes in Isaiah, Darius is my chosen vessel. He will do za da 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 And he writes a whole lot. 400 years later, a man called Darius is born. And the Jews go to him and say, it's written about you in the scrolls. There, your name is in the scroll. 400 years beforehand. Prophecy fulfilled, the accuracy. When Jesus came, he fulfilled all the prophecies that were written about him. The odds of doing that are just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I'm not going to go there. It's like, it's impossible for somebody to have fulfilled everything that was written about him. But he did it. And he's told us what's going to happen at the end. He's told us in scripture what will happen in these last days. He's told us in these last days we're going to come into a cashless society where you have to receive a mark on your hand or a mark on your forehead to buy and sell. Guess what they are talking about now? Guess what's happening now in the UN? Guess what's happening now in the world? They're talking about a cashless society. They've got the chip that they can put in your hand and in your forehead that's got all your information on it. Three sets of barcodes, six pieces in each. Six, six, six. Guess where you find that? In the Bible. It's written in the Bible. I had a plastering me up the other day. And he says, Mark, Mark. He said, do you know that I've got a chip and this is a mark that goes into you? He's just become a Christian. He's just found out that the Bible is true. It's accurate. We're not, we're, this, we're not standing on shallow ground here, shaky, thin ice, like we're going to. Our faith is reasonable faith based upon a solid foundation, the Word of God. We believe what we believe because there's historical proof for it. Jesus testified to the Bible as being the Word of God. There's incredible unity in the Bible. It all hangs together. It's written by 40-odd different authors over a period of 1,600 years. Just imagine to try and write a novel over three generations. Now, my son, I want you to finish this novel I'm writing. Make it all fit together. Now, my grandson, I want you to finish this novel we're writing. Fit it all together. 
Now, my great-grandson finished this novel. By the time the great-grandson, he's forgotten about the novel. They couldn't care less about that. That was something old great-great-grandfather had in his mind. Who would forget that? 1,600 years the Bible took to write, written by 40 different authors and all saying the same thing. Now, that's got to register with you, you know? You've got to think, how did he do that? It's impossible for you to do that. God can do that because he said he did it. It's overcome every opportunity to try and push it out. And, and it gives you new life if you believe in the word of God. Jesus gives you new life. So our faith is reasonable faith. It rests on a solid foundation. And God knows it because this is what he said in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not, think, not seen. For by it the elders obtain a good report. And then he says, through faith, not through science, not through empirical proof, not through man's reasoning, but through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by God's word, so that the things which are seen were not made by things that do appear. It's by faith we grasp that things were created by God. Not through science, not through going to Mars to see the origins of the... We'll spend billions of dollars while millions of people starve. We'll spend billions of dollars to send some little thing to go up to run around on Mars to try and tell us that somewhere there were Martians living there and they seeded the population in the earth and that's where we came from. We eventually came from Mars somewhere. And, and whose money's paying for that? Friends, your tax money is paying for that. Why? Because we don't believe that God created it. We've got to find another way, another solution for this whole nonsense. Let's have a look at the word substance. What does it mean, substance? Substance is the word hypotesis, which means hypotesis, which means to stand under. So our faith has something strong, strong and solid. It's got some substance underneath it. It's putting in place a subframe. It's like putting a foundation. This building floor is resting upon bearers. So you can see the floor boards at the top. They come this way. And running this way underneath it, there's big, strong timber underneath it running this way. And they're all set apart like this in order. And under those, those bearers, they've got posts on them. And those posts have got, they're in the ground and they've got concrete around them. And that's the foundation on which you're sitting now. There's something solid, there's something strong under the floorboards. They're not just sitting on the dirt. They're supported and held up under by some strong members. He says our faith has got some very strong supports under it. It's not just blind faith, but it's strong. It's got some strong supports. He says the evidence, it's this faith is the substance of things hoped for. He says it's the evidence of things not seen. Now, the, the evidence is the Greek word for a receipt. You know when you buy something from Kmart and it's broken? It broke. Well, yeah, you bought it from Kmart. What did you expect? So you say, oh, it's broken. I'm going to take it back to Kmart and get my money back. You go to the lady, hello. What do you want? I'm bringing back this product I bought from you. Have you got a receipt? No, I don't have a receipt. Well, how do we know you bought it from here? Well, you do, we want proof, she says, that you bought it from here. 
We want evidence that there was a transaction that took place that you bought that product from here, so we will give you your money back. You hang on to the receipt, don't you? You got to, if you're like Auntie Jenny, you got a you got a drawer which has got lots of receipts in it, and you go through. Like, Where is that one's a broken one? I bet that's it. Have you got that receipt, Mark? And here, it, here it is. I got the receipt. I'll take it back. I've got evidence to prove that I purchased that here. This is the word. It's a title deed. It's an evidence. It's a, it's a receipt. God says. That faith, your faith is like a receipt, an evidence to prove something. Strong, it's solid, it supports. It's the thing that you can't see, there's evidence in you, and that's your faith. Now look, the devil wants to undermine your faith. He tries to take away your confidence in him. He tries to take away, he tells you, you know, you can't believe in God. God's not going to provide for you. The test for Pyram was... Will I trust in Jesus? When I have only $7 in the bank, will I trust in Jesus? And she says, I kept looking at Jesus and trusting in Jesus. Her faith was the solid thing under her that kept her going when everything else looked like it was going to fall apart. And God was faithful because he always is. Even if you wait a long time, he will come through for you and he will supply that woman who was standing on the side of the road with a baby in her arms, who came from Thailand, she was saying, God, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. It was the faith of a woman that walked past who believed that she's being led by God, said, you know what, imagine if she just kept on going and just kept the money in her pocket. She stopped and she went, God spoke to her. She said, I think I hear God speak to me. The voice, you say, the voice saying to me, the voice saying to me, well, what's that voice sound like? It's God speaks to you. God speaks to you. He leads you. This woman heard God, the voice. He heard God speak to her. Go give that woman some money. She's not saying, uh, that's weird. Where did that thought come from? She just said, that's God. Got money in there. God just wants me to give you some money. That whole expression, that whole act produced within that woman faith. Believing faith. God was there, God heard her cry, and God was willing to do something for her and minister to her. Amazing, amazing. But that's all built. That's solid. It's built on faith. You know, the devil will try and take your faith away so he can destroy you, so you're left hopeless without God, without a cause. Your faith is solid. It's your foundation. It's the rock on which you stand. You hang on to God. Believe, because the devil will try and cause you to doubt. You hang on and believe. So what do we believe? Well, this is the Apostles' Creed. It's, it's maybe one of the first creeds because they attribute it to the Apostles. This is what we believe. I believe in God and the Father, the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. That's a prophecy. We know that, but it's all in history. Now, this is all history. This is an interpretation of history premised upon our faith. We look at history and say, this is what happened in history. God created the heavens and earth. Were you there? No, I believe that he did. It's faith. Your faith, your belief. God created the heavens and earth. God touched a a virgin called Mary and and she conceived to bear a child. It was prophesied in Isaiah 9-6 or 9-7 and it happened in... The year dot when Jesus was conceived. It's our faith that testifies to that. We say, we believe it. That's history. 
We can see it in history. We interpret history. You know what? We hear from the other side, you know, there's lots of legends about uh, virgins giving birth. We can find legends about virgins giving birth to babies all over the world. You know, we'll just discount that one, push it away. Don't believe that. No. Our faith has historical premise. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. We hear about Pontius Pilate. You know, Jesus made Pontius Pilate famous. If it wasn't for Jesus, we probably wouldn't have any record of Pontius Pilate. But yeah, there's a Pontius Pilate. There was a guy called Pontius Pilate and he did actually wash his hands and, and we do actually have record of that and other people who wrote about Pontius Pilate, about Jesus and how he was killed under Pontius Pilate. No other record of Pontius Pilate. When you die, will there be any record of your name in 2,000 years? Olga, when you die and you drop into the ground, you become dust. Gone. And your sisters die. And your brothers die. And your children die. Will they remember your name? Maybe not. Maybe we write in water when we write our name and here I am and we're writing in the water and it's disappeared before we finish. No, but God caused these names to be remembered. Why? Because they are connected to something in history that is important. And that's connected, and, and you and I know today their names because God said, you need to remember their names, and I'm going to keep their names in history so you can know those things. We may not be remembered, but God, these names were remembered. This is what we believe. Crucified, dead, and buried, he, he descended into Hades, and on the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and there he has come he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. That's not the Roman Catholic Church. That's the Holy Universal Church. Catholic is the word for universal. The communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. And that's the Apostles' Creed. And note, the Apostles' Creed is founded in history. We have a historical view. God has a past. He's eternal. There is past, present, and future in God. And this is what it says in Revelations 1.8. It says, I am the, the Alpha and the Omega. The word Alpha is the first, and the word Omega is the last. It's the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. When they say Omega, it's the first. When they say Omega, uh, sorry, Alpha is the first, and Omega is last. So when they say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, he's saying, I am the beginning of all the things, and I am the end of all things. That means I am there in the middle of it. I am there before it starts, and I'm there when it's over. I am God, and I am eternal. You can't get your head around that because you are finite right here, right now. You will be immortal, and you'll understand it later, but at this point of time, you are finite. He says... Also in Revelation chapter 21, verse 6, he said, He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. This is what Jesus said. Now, we can know all about um, what God wants us to know about because it's written in the Scripture. And holy men of God were moved by the Holy Spirit to write those things down so that we could recall them. That's what it says in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 9. They wrote it because God wanted them to record it. And so they recorded everything they could. And, and John tells us the reason why God moved on these men to write these things, he says that these things are written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. So there was this idea that 
God wanted to record all this stuff down in history. You've got to believe this history because he wants to do something in your life now because of the history. And John, in 1 John 1 to 4, this is John's testimony. He says, listen to what he says. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the, for the life was manifest and we have seen it. And bear witness and show unto you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. So he said, everything I've seen with Jesus, I'm, I'm writing them down to let you know. I, I want you to know what I've seen. He made a record of it. And the reason he made a record of it is, and why we still have it now, is because God wanted us to read the record. He wanted us to know it. He says, that which was we have seen and heard declare unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus. He says, I, and these things we write to you that your joy may be filled. He wants us to have full joy. That's why he wrote those things. Our history should bring us full joy. Here's the, here's the thing, though. You can know about Jesus as a baby in a manger. You can know about the boy in the temple. You can know about Jesus being a master builder. You can know about Jesus walking around with teaching people, you know, sandals with a skirt on, you know, and, um, and a beard. And you can, you, can, you can think of him in that way. You can think of Jesus as a historical person. You can think of Jesus being a friend of publicans and sinners. You can think of Jesus being crucified on the cross or being whipped. You see films of it. You, you can see Jesus getting whipped on the Passion. It's horrible, it's graphic. We say, oh, that's yuck, you know, that's horrible. <gasps> Jesus is going through a lot of suffering and pain. You can see him nailed on the cross. You can see him put in the grave. And you, can see him, you can see him resurrected and you can see him ascended to the Father's side. You can see him sitting in heaven in your mind. You know, you have a historical perception of Jesus. But that won't help you. Friends, history is not meant to be viewed of as knowledge to be attained to. When the Bible records history, it records it for you to experience God. Not for you to know about God, but for you to experience God. So when we talk about our history, we have firm confidence that our history is, is grounded in the Word of God. But it's not there for us to know information about God. It's there for us to experience God. That's a big difference. Because I, I remember sitting in one church one time, and the guy says, do you know God? And I just sort of, you know, I know God. And then in my head, uh, these words, you don't know me, you know about me. Now, I had been brought up in church and gone to Sunday school, so I knew all about Noah's Ark, I knew all about Moses, I knew all about the stories of the Old Testament, I knew about Jesus walking around and healing people, I knew about Jesus dying on the cross, I knew all the stories about the Bible, but I didn't know Jesus personally. It's not about knowing about the history. It's about knowing Jesus personally. History is there. It points you to someone. Jesus it points you to so that you can know him now, right now. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians. And Paul says this to us. I used to read this and I think, why did he say this until it's dawned on me? Listen to what he says. For, love's, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So he's saying, you know that Jesus died for them and, and that you should live for him. Okay? And then he says these words, the crazy words. He says, for from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. 
Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What's he saying? He says, I don't want you to think of Jesus in terms of the bearded and sandaled guy walking around in a dress. I don't want you to think about Jesus as a guy who was nailed to a cross. He can't help you if he's nailed to a cross. I don't want you to think of Jesus as a baby in a manger. You know, on Christmas Day, there he is laying in a manger. A baby in a manger cannot help you. He says, no, he's a living Lord. We no longer think of Jesus in the human sense anymore as a history. He is a living, life-giving spirit. He says, I don't want you to be caught with history now. I want you to come into a place where you live in a vital relationship with God who lives outside of history. God who holds history in his hand. God who was there at the beginning. God who is going to be there at the end. And God who is very present with you now. I want you to live with God right now. I want you to know God right now. Your history should point you to God. God who was, who is, and who is to come. But your history should not just be the knowledge of God. About God, I want you to know him personally. So everything that was written down was there to bring us to a personal understanding of Jesus and a personal relationship with Jesus. It says in Exodus 33 verses 13 to 15, this is Moses. Remember he went to, the, to, to, um, to save the people and this is what he said to God and this is what we should be saying to God too. He says, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember this nation is your people. This is what Moses was saying to God. He says, look, if you're pleased with me, I want you to teach me how to rule these people. I don't know how to do this. And the Lord replied, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. So God says, I'm here and I'm going to go with you and, and it's, it'll be all right. You don't have to panic. You don't have to be upset. I'll give you rest. And this is what Moses said. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. He was saying, I'm not willing to go anywhere without you. If I have to face life and you're not in it, I don't want to do it. You know, Moses teaches us that God is desirous to be present with us in the now. We live in the now. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now faith is being ready and ready for Jesus to walk with you. Now your faith has to be operating. Now you have to be believing. Not tomorrow, because you can't ever get to tomorrow. You have to do it now. Now is when you have to trust Jesus. Every one of you have got your own problems, your own situation, your own difficulties. Every one of you is facing a life challenge. Every one of you will go through deep waters. Every one of you will go for a fire. Every one of you will have to climb mountains in your life. But listen, that's the future. Now Jesus says, I will walk with you through today. And I will stay with you. Take my hand and let me walk with you through today. Everything in history should point to now. That we can have confidence now that Jesus is with us and that he's going to talk to us. He's going to lead us. He's going to strengthen us. He's going to heal us. He's going to provide for us. Everything in history should point us to the moment that we have right now and that's the moment that Jesus wants to touch your life. Right now. We don't have to 
have questions about tomorrow. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen. God already knows what's happening. All we have to do is trust him now. It says in John chapter 17 verse 3, it says, this is eternal life that you know him, that you know him. God wants us to know him. He wants us to have a personal relationship with him. That we may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ. That's what he wants. He wants us to live in the now knowing Jesus. Now, he comes to test for us. This week, how many of you lived in the knowledge about God, but you didn't exercise a relationship with him? How many of you thought, oh, God is like this or Jesus is like that? but you just failed to connect with him. You failed to take it to him. You failed to leave his, your problems. At, Cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. Oh, well, that's history. No, it's now. Right now. Like as you wake in the morning and things are troubling you, the first thing he says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's not a historical thing. That's a present person waiting to connect with you, wanting to talk with you now. You know, we know the history, but the history points to us connecting with Jesus now. All the world's making a lot of noise. It wants you to connect with it. It wants you to look at it. Look at distract, 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 distract. Look, you want to look over here, look like this. Or you want to come over here and get this. You want to have this money here. You want to have this job over here. All these distractions. And what Jesus says, I want you now. I want you to walk with me now. As you breathe now. As you think, I want to be in your mind right now and to think with you now and to walk with you now. And don't you worry about the storm. And don't you worry about the threats. And don't you worry about the provision. Because I'm here in the boat with you now. History points us to Jesus. And Jesus is here with us now. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. He's here with us right now. And he'll be speaking to your heart. He may be saying to you, you know, I've been lonely this week. You treat me like a pet. You come and play with me sometimes. But I want to walk with you all the time. You come and meet me in the morning and feed me like a dog. And you spend the rest of the day doing your own thing. You come back at night time and you take me for a walk just before you go to bed. But I want to walk with you the whole day. Don't treat me like your dog. I am your God. So friends, if God's Holy Spirit is speaking to you about your time, about your focus, I want you to register that and think about that today. He wants to be with you right now and to continue on with you to the rest of your life. And he's here to start today. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you that you are here with us. We've heard testimony of your provision today. We've heard wonderful stories about how you are always there for those who call out to you. 
Father, we ask you to help us to distract ourselves from the distractions of this life, to set our focus on you, Father, not to be, Lord, led away and led astray by all the other things. Lord, I pray for our young men and our young women here today. Lord, I ask that you just put a protection around their hearts, Lord Jesus. Lord, unless you protect them, oh God, and keep them from the evil one, Lord, the evil one is going to come and take their minds and just make them so confused. Lord, I ask, oh God, that your Holy Spirit rests so mightily upon them, Father, that they will begin to start to feel a sense of your indwelling presence, Holy Spirit, and that they would live and be guided by you from this day on, Father. Every young person here, Father, I ask, oh God, that you put such a seal within their hearts, Lord Jesus, right now by your Holy Spirit, that they will reach out to you, Father, and feel and touch the Spirit, leading them on from this day on, Father. Lord, and keep them safe from the evil one. Father, for us who are on a bit, Lord Jesus, I ask that you help us to put our faith and our trust in you, Lord Jesus. You have never, ever let us down. Lord, we want to believe you continuously. And Lord, help us to walk in this light, Father, to walk with you right through history, Father, until you come and take us home again. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.